Hi, welcome to the Mainstream Mass Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaren. What is up, guys? Today, we're going to be getting into who's going to take a bigger step in the Mavericks rotation this year between Josh Green and Frank Nitlikina and the connotations that could provide for the Mavericks if one of those guys does take the next step in their development and how big that would be and um, crucial that would be for the Mavericks in terms of marginally um, – getting better if they can just add another wing uh, or not add another wing, but if one of those guys clicks and takes a big step this year, how the Mavs will potentially be able to benefit from one of those guys hitting and how they could, uh, that could really raise the ceiling for the Mavericks. If one of Frank or Josh hits, we're also going to be getting into Maxi Kleber's spot in the center rotation. Um, Jaron um, actually pros this idea to us. Uh, Jaron, do you think that um, Maxi is going to have as a largely defined role as he did last year? I don't. I don't think he's going to have as much as a defined role as he did last year. I think it's going to like look. There's a there's a 20 game span where you can play around and be in the beginning of the season, and I feel like we're going to see a lot of different roles that we see Maxi in in yeah. that game span. I agree. So we'll be getting into that as well. But before. We have a quick ad from our sponsor, Anchor. All right, Jaron. So first off, just looking at these guys' age, um, Josh is going to be 22 only a few weeks into the season versus Frank, who actually turned 24 today. Happy birthday to – Oh, yeah, happy birthday to Frank. Yes. Our, um, Frankie Smokes, as he's denoted by some on Twitter. Um, anyhow – who do you think, just first off, who has more potential between these two guys? I feel like there's a very clear and distinct answer to this. Definitely, definitely uh, Frank Nielakina. I'm just kidding. Uh, it's definitely Josh Green, without a doubt. I, I think Josh just has more, uh, more to offer, especially for this team. He's younger. Uh, I, he's definitely got more athleticism. He's still got the defensive side as compared to Frank, who's also defensive-minded. Uh, they're very similar in the sense – like, they have different defensive roles, um, but they're both good on defense is what I'm trying to get at. Uh, I just think Josh <clears throat> can develop more of an offensive game, more than, where we, more than what we've seen Frank do. Um, but, yeah, like that, I think, I think Josh Green is definitely the guy who definitely has more potential. No, I concur. I think that Josh's ability to pass is very intriguing. Um, could he step into a role where he's facilitating and they're running some offense through him at some point in his career? That'd be really intriguing to me. I don't know if he takes that step this year, but if he did, well, that'd be massive for the Mavericks. No, yeah. So, like, I, uh, in some videos, and understand, like, these are just practice videos, but he posted on his Instagram just him catching – uh, practicing catch and shoot threes. So I wonder if that's him understanding his role. You know, he's not going to get the dribble threes. It's going to be more of a catch and shoot thing where he's in the corner kind of thing. Um, to me, that was interesting in the sense of just role defining. Um, but yeah, I like what you said where we could see some offense flowing through him because uh, he has shown a little bit of a playmaking in his development. 
yeah, I don't know if I'd put like too much credence into those sort of videos because like, you know, any NBA player is going to take catch and shoot threes regardless who they are, you know, in the offseason. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, um, it is um, good to see because his shot mechanics definitely look that like they've improved a little bit. So that is definitely encouraging. Um, so just from a defensive uh, factor, uh, pointing back to what you said, I think they're definitely different defenders in the sense. I think Josh can guard a little bit bigger than Frank can. Frank's a little lengthier. And I think Frank has shown an ability to stick guys on ball. I mean, especially in that Sun series in that Sun series. I mean, there were times where he was really like actually locking up Devin Booker. And I feel like that's went real under the radar at some points. But I think Frank's a more consistent and reliable defender. You yeah. Know, I mean, he's able to stay in front of guys one on one. And I think Josh has that same potential, you know, especially he doesn't um, – it's not like he has, like, a short wingspan or anything or he's not athletic. It's just I at times I think he's took gambles. You know, he's overfouling. Sometimes he plays too aggressive. And that's definitely exactly. came to his detriment, and I feel like that harms him a lot. No, um, yeah, yeah. In terms of his on-ball defense. But I think, I mean, just athletically, he has the tools to be an even better defender than Frank does, who's already a really good defender. And well, here, like, let me ask this. Do you feel comfortable with Frank Nielakina being your one and two primary defender? Uh, I mean, no, just from the standpoint that he's not going to be able to. He's not going to supplement. He's not going to be able to. Yeah. But the thing is, like, he's not going to be able to supplement on offense. Like, if you're saying one and two primary defender, that would, you know, give me the connotation that he would probably be starting. Sure, yeah. And, I, I, yeah, yeah. And I feel like the one and two primary defender, for instance, the guy who's going to, you know, if there's a point guard in the other team, like Stephen Curry, like you're going to throw Bullock on him to start the game. And, you know, Frank is definitely a guy that can come and contribute off the bench. But I think, jo- you know, I think I'm more confident in th- Frank guarding one through two than I am like putting Frank on threes. You know, I just think he gives a bit of size and strength versus like Josh Green. I think he has the athleticism and the strength to back up, you know, some bigger, uh, a little bigger guys. I think he's a little bit taller than Frank. So I think, and he, he honestly might even be faster. Um, it's just, no, you I'm know, sure. what do you say? I'm not, I'm actually not sure. I, I don't even know. How tall is Josh Green? I think he's six, five and Frank six, four. So there's like a very slight marginal difference, okay. but it's just the fact that I think Josh has the athleticism and strength to, counter some bigger opponents i just think josh's thing is that at times he has a tendency like we said to just be too overzealous as Derek harper would say on the defensive end and um over foul and things of that nature and i think him just being more you know assertive but not overly aggressive just more aware i guess yeah and just yeah raising his defensive awareness um, I've, I've definitely think Josh has shown more potentials than off ball defenders. Frank dope. I mean, Frank did get in a lot of passing lanes last year and disrupt things, especially in that sun series. So I, I would almost put them equal from that standpoint, but I think Josh, um, just has better tools and if he can use those and develop on offense, that definitely easily answers the question, in my opinion, that he has more potential than Frank. Now, um, Josh actually shot 
36% on three last year, but and Frank shot only 34.2%, but Josh did so on 33 less attempts. I mean, it's a fairly large difference. Um, yeah. So, you know, I feel like, and especially we saw Josh's shooting disappear largely in the postseason, and he got played out of the rotation by Frank. Do you think Josh's shooting struggles are more of a testament to just sort of inconfidence having, you know, played in his first NBA playoffs? Or do you feel like it's more – because, you know, he's just, um, like, actually, like, bad at shooting. I don't I, – I believe he shot 36% his senior year – or not senior his last, last year in Arizona, he did, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I don't think it's a question of whether or not he's a bad shooter. I think the shooting potential is there. I just think it's a confidence thing, like you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, look, I understand, like, you know, being you're, – you're having a huge role – off the bench in a huge playoff series where the Mavericks, you know, at that point, like we're definitely the underdogs, but, um, but yeah, I mean, like all, all eyes are on you in that series. No, I mean, not all eyes, of course, but you know, you have a big role is what I'm trying to say in that series. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's definitely going to be some nerves, mm-hmm. uh, which I mean, you can't use an, as an excuse for the bad play that he had, um, but you can kind of shave it off a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I think we're just going to see – we just need to see more consistency from Josh this season, and I feel like he's actually going to have a way better shooting year um, with more attempts. I think he's going to shoot around maybe the same percentage, but better more attempts. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, with Frank's 34%, you know, he, he kind of got it going. You saw it in the playoff series. He kind of got it going uh, – especially in the playoffs towards the end. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just going to be kind of a night in, night out, because these are both guys – like, I think Frank has a clearly defined role of right now with how this roster is built. It's just Josh right now is the odd guy out, like, in terms of roster building. No, I completely agree. Because Frank showed more consistency during the playoffs. And, you know, I will say, though, that – Josh's offensive game just has so much more levels to it than Frank at this stage in his career. Now, if you would have told me this, like when Frank was first drafted, obviously, and Frank was projected to be this dude who could be a primary ball handler, then yeah, you know, there'd be a lot of terms of debate for that. But at this stage in his career, Frank is, I feel like Frank is far enough into his career where we can like definitively say, you know, he doesn't, how much, there's definitely like a ceiling in terms of how much he can develop to offensively like could he become this like sort of tertiary ball handler like i talked about this i think a couple pods ago could frank become this like tertiary ball handler that you know and he's already a decent ball mover and just not having a stick in his hands and you know doing some things like um we're going to get past and uh just some like simple driving kick stuffs off the screens things of that nature i think he can i think that frank can get to that level I think Josh Green could potentially get above that level just from the standpoint of what his offensive um, game could entail. Because, I mean, there were times last year where he was, like, actually creating his own shot. Now, I mean, I don't think he's ever going to be able to do that, like, consistently, but he can, you know, do that marginally. And I think his athleticism allows him to reach a higher level on that standpoint than uh, Frank can, you know, as, like, that sort of tertiary ball handler guy. And, I mean, you know, just – with Josh, I mean, it's just a lot of, like, decision-making stuff. Like, if you remember that one possession versus the Jazz last year where Josh gets it on the wing and he's kind of, like, 
teetering, doesn't really know what to do. And he tries driving at Gobert, does a spin move on him and just gets absolutely squatted into oblivion. Like, it's like just some of those like decision-making, like had Josh just pulled up for a pull-up jumper right there. Cause he's shown the ability at times during the regular seasons. Like he, we saw a little bit of his mid-range game this year, which actually surprised me. And just a few like different nooks and crannies that I was not um, really expecting from him. So like, there's like potential there. It's just how much of that he sees and how much has he developed that like over the summer. And um, we'll go ahead and get to, into the uh, Cali Kaplan. Uh, she had a quick Q and a with um, Josh green the other day. And, you know, he was at like a Mavs hoop camp for kids and stuff. And he was doing an interview right after and just, you know, there weren't there any like big takeaways from it, but from what I kind of saw from the story, um, Josh actually, uh, He's honed in on his diet this summer. Okay. And right. he's uh, shaved a little uh, in his body fat percentage. And he's he shaved about 3.5%. And he's looking to shave another like 1.5%, which is actually a fairly decent amount for a guy's size, which I mean, I by no means did I ever think he was a guy that was out of shape. But, you know, if that is helping him become even like more athletic and, you know, because he is like a high energy player when like Josh Green gets in the game, you know, he's giving you, um, like a ton of motor and energy in those few minutes that he plays. But, you know, I don't know if his play style is necessarily sustainable like that yeah. if he were to play more minutes because, he's you know, even though he is young, like he's going balls to the ball. That's the one thing that all Mass fans can appreciate him, regardless of what – how bad or good you think he is. Like that guy comes in and, you know, he tries his, his tail off every single possession. And, you know, just – Get, getting a slightly better conditioning standpoint like that could definitely help him you know play more minutes in my opinion I don't know if that was I never really thought of that personally as like a factor in terms of why he was um lacking I just viewed it more of an awareness and decision making type of thing you know especially yeah. like he has had some like egregious errant passes um over the last couple seasons and just you know with a guy like him you have to give a little bit of a leash to which Rick Carlisle wasn't able to do, but Jason Kidd has shown um, the patience to do. And, you know, this has got to be the year that um, exactly. he definitely that he takes a step because I think Josh is almost largely expendable um, via trade. Like, I think you almost have to get rid of him just from the asset management perspective if he doesn't take some sort of, like, decent step this year. What do you think on that? No, I completely agree. Um, I was even talking about this earlier. Um, not with you, but I was talking about this earlier. Um, if if Josh Green develops some sort of consistency, even just just some sort of consistency um, from now and until trade deadline, could you see him being like a good trade piece? Yeah, uh, yeah. especially if he develops some sort of consistent uh, consistency offensively. Exactly, if Josh Green's able to hone in and like actually like. If you can run a little bit of offense from him and he stays a little more disciplined on defense, uh, I mean, he'd be a valuable young asset in a trade the Mavericks are trying to make for um, whoever know, it may be. Maybe that second guy or whether it's a primary ball handler if the Mavericks, you know, don't go out and do that this offseason, uh, address that need. Um, I think Josh would be a valuable asset. But for now, I'm not really as much focused on um, – him potentially leaving as much as I am his development. I will say that, you know, these story, the story and the, that came out with Cal- Callie Kaplan and the workout videos have 
kind of got me back on the hype train and uh, <laughs> I'll guiltily admit that. Um, but yeah, um, just one of them taking the next step in the wing rotation is huge um, for the Mavs. So, you know, we already talked about who has more potential between the two, and we definitely agree that's Josh Green from that standpoint. But who actually projects to be, like, taking that next step? Like, who's going to steal that role, basically, in the wing rotation next year? Because, you know, just because one of them has more potential doesn't mean the other one's going to do it. Like, if you had to pick, who do you think it would be? So, as of July 29th, 2022, I think this is going to be this, – this is a very flexible question. I feel like you can ask me this uh, in January and it will be a different answer. Oh, but right now, right now I think the guy who has the bigger role is going to be Frank Nielakina personally. Yeah. Just because we lack guard depth. Like, it, it, I mean, we can make a whole pot in itself, but is Frank Nielakina going to be your first guy off the – your first guard off the bench? And I mean that to me is a yes right now. Um, I mean he's unfortunately probably the. Well, I mean if you're counting Tim obviously as a you know guard, which I probably would. Then, at this point, I would, yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, I think Frank is definitely the first playmaker slash initiator off the bench, which is definitely a scary thing to say. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, now that's not to say that this doesn't change throughout the season. I think after all 82 games are played, I'm hoping it's Josh Green. Oh, um, and but, if Josh Green could take a step playmaking wise to even put, because I mean, even at the moment, despite how I, I don't think like Frank Nitlikina is some sort of god tier playmaker or anything of that nature, but I think he's definitely more under control. He's a better ball mover than Josh Green, and Josh Green's playmaking abilities still have a lot in terms of that development side, but that's intriguing that he showed just a bit of that last year. Cause I think a lot of us thought coming out of the draft that he was just like a strictly three and D guy. Exactly. Which, you know, is not the case to a full extent. Um, so, you know, him, if he could take a step above Frank even and just develop a more consistent shot, um, that would intrigue me a lot. Cause you know, I think while Josh did shoot 36% on three last year, it was only around like 80, some odd attempts in the regular season. And, you know, if he was able to get to like 37, 38% on like larger volume, which, I mean, I don't know if he can do that. I mean, that would be huge at that point. You know, he stays more disciplined on defense. I mean, that's your third wing off the bench right there. I mean, that, that definitely like, you know, makes me a lot more confident in the fact that the Mavs, you know, don't need to make a trade even for another wing off the bench. That's, that's, I think, the ideal – I think that's what this Mavs team right now sees in Josh Green is a guy who might – he might take a little bit more time, but it's got to happen this season. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, like, he might take a little bit more time just throughout the season, uh, but he's going to be your main wing off the bench or in, in terms of 3 and D. Um, I, I just think that's the kind of envision that they have for him, which honestly, like, I mean, I hate to say it because, yeah, we're getting back on the hype train, but I could see it with the levels of progression and the levels of uh, just development that we've seen throughout the summer. And in terms of his words. Uh, his words. <laughs> yeah, his words. You have to underline that. Yeah. Um, it, it looks on the upside of it 
Uh, but again, you know, we won't know until preseason, regular season. So yeah, I mean, you know, despite him, you know, his stats aren't eye popping or anything like that. But you know, I feel like he did take a fairly large leap from year one to year two, and that's definitely he took a really large, in my opinion, for a guy who's never had to, you know, play summer league or anything. It's definitely encouraging to me. You know, I I still stay strong on the standpoint that I would have liked to see him out there at summer league this year, but you know, it is what it is at this point. Um, but I do think that, you know, I think, but honestly, like, you know, you poised the question earlier, like, or posed rather, I don't know why I said that. You posed the question that, you know, who's going to be that first ball handling guard off the bench for the Mavericks. But, you know, I earnestly, you know, I guess it is Frank now, but that's not the role Frank played at all last year with Brunson. You know, the Mavericks definitely suck him more in a three and D sort of role. And I think that's where Frank is. That's where his game, you know, is best. I think it's best suited. Yeah. Best suited, you know, as a three and D player who can ball move and stuff. And maybe, you know, if he gets an open lane, he's able to drive things of that nature. But, you know, do you think Josh Green has more playmaking potential than Frank? Uh, that's a tough, tough question. I think, it, 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 like, yes, just because we saw, like you mentioned, how you did earlier about how Josh Green had, like, coming out of the draft, Josh Green didn't have, we didn't see any of that uh, playmaking ability. But definitely early on throughout, or just really throughout last season, you know, we saw Josh Green develop a little bit of a facilitating passing kind of game. So just in that sense, you know, I feel more comfortable, of course, with Frank just because he has more of a role in that. Or he's, I guess he's done it longer. And, you know, I feel as if, like, Frank's more controlled with it. Definitely way more controlled with it. Yeah. But, again, you know, Josh Green's only 22. Like, I hate to use age on his side right now, but he does That's have age on his side. so young, yeah. No, I completely agree, uh, especially some of the pl- passes made. Like, Josh made, like, these, like, wraparound passes in the paint to Dwight at times, like – he showed some like really impe- impressive things that I just really did not foresee him being able to do whatsoever. So, you know, I, I definitely agree with the, you know, overarching theme that between the two, Josh Green has more potential. But if I had to pick one that's going to step up in that rotation next year, just because, you know, the inconsistency with Josh Green at times, I'd probably pick Frank. Um, and that's not to say that I, I'd rather have Josh Green hit though, because I feel like him hitting is much more is going to. It's hit a way higher ceiling, yeah, than than Frank could. Yeah. Um, especially with the shooting jump he has potential to take. Just you know, Josh's keys to success this year are going to be, you know, can he sustain that sort of thirty six percent from three at a higher clip? Can he become more disciplined on defense? And, you know, can he step up as this sort of like tertiary pseudo playmaker just be just to be able to like run a few things from him, a couple actions through Josh Green? That would be huge, especially with his size, uh, you know, being six, five and all that. He's a little bigger than Frank. Um, much more athletic that that would be huge. And, you know, that's definitely a young player you can put in a deal to, you know, help you in a package for that number two guy next to Luca. And I'm not trying to look at him from the trade, pers- you know, an asset perspective, just from, you know, in all fairness to him, of course, but you know, that is going, going to help harness the ability for the Mavs to make a trade, especially 
how they're kind of handicapped on draft picks right now. They can't trade a they can't trade their um 2025 first round pick as of right now unless they remove the protections on their 2023 pick just because of the uh, Stepien rule. So I mean it it would be huge for Josh Green to hit. I mean it would definitely marginally um maybe not too significantly, but it would marginally raise the ceiling of this Mavericks team. No, I definitely agree. Yeah. So um, anyhow, do you think, and just to, you know, go off on a little uh, ramble on this, do you think Jaden Hardy could snag any of these, any of the minutes between Josh Green and Frank Nilakina? Because I feel like that's the kind of, those are the minutes distribution that he would be looking at in terms of being able to play. If not, I feel like, you know, he's mostly going to get like garbage time minutes unless he can get in their sort of echelon of minutes. You know, they may, you know, we may see him in preseason against some bad teams a little more. I'm not saying he's strictly going to be like um, garbage time minutes, but I think like Jaden Hardy's definitely in like the Trey Burke role of last year where, you know, you'll pick a guy who can, you know, who's maybe not on the same uh, level ball handler or creator, but, you know, he's definitely a better like spot up shooter or defender and Josh Green or Frank Nettlikino to come off the bench for you, especially if the rotation's tighter, you're playing a good team before you put Jaden Hardy in the game. What do you think about that? So I think definitely early on in the season, we might see some weird minutes between the three of those guys. Uh, Cause I think Jaden Hardy definitely gets a bite out of those. Uh, even if it's just five minutes, I think he gets some of those minutes. Um, it, like, I just think it's more of a, you know, like I said earlier about this how is a complete, like it, I, I agree with you. Cause as the roster is currently constructed, you know, I feel much more confident in Jaden Hardy's playmaking abilities than I do Josh Green and Frank Nitlakina's. And that, that honestly says a lot. Yeah, that, that says a lot. It sounds kind of ludicrous, like, oh, 37th pick. And, you know, he had a lot of bad turnovers in summer league, but he definitely looks way more poised and ready in terms of an offensive creation aspect than those two guys, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, but, yeah, like I said, like, I think he gets minutes early on in the season. Now, whether or not he proves he's he can stay uh, is going to kind of depend on what what that Josh Green and Frank Nilakina minutes look like. Um, but it, like, let's say he hits. Like, let's say he's actually you know playing at a solid rate. He's playing consistent. He's looking good on the ball handling side. Like, who knows? Maybe maybe Frank is the odd guy out. Maybe Jaden Hardy's the next guy up. Uh, of course, I don't want to say this to get anybody's, you know, to get their hopes up. Um, but this, it, it's just weird roles that these three guys have uh, yeah, because yeah. they're so expendable. Uh, yeah, just I mean, they, the Mavericks just really need one of them. One, yeah, one. Because yeah. they only have minutes for one of them. I mean, I'm sure if, you know, this is kind of a bold prediction, I, bold prediction I just kind of surmised. You know, I feel like two of them are going to stay just because, you know, you'll want one of those guys in case you know somebody in the rotation gets hurt but i believe by the end of the season one of those guys will for sure be gone okay i like that actually yeah yeah i think i I think that's fair to say uh you know jay hardy the least likely out of those guys jane hardy is definitely likely yeah so i think you know going on to this trade talk i think you know if you're just throwing in a guy you're going to look like Frank. It's going to be Frank. Yeah. But if yeah. you're going to want like a top guy, 
by potential, like let's say he does hit, it's gonna be Josh Green. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like I like what you said. But you know, the thing is, is like Jaden Hardy might have the highest ceiling out of the three of them, but I just don't oh, definitely, know. yeah. He's gonna project enough developmentally to um be like a true like young well, not young centerpiece, but like an intriguing young player in any of those deals. I just think Josh Green's a little more far, far along his path developmentally than Frank is. And for that reason, I feel like, I mean, oh, I feel like Josh Green's a little more far ahead developmentally than Jaden is rather. And I feel like if anything that he would get shipped off because I just think he holds more value at this point. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. And there, you know, both there's not a huge age difference whatsoever between the two. But yeah, so that's really it on that topic. Uh, next up, we're going to be getting into how Maxi Kleber, um, just sort of how his minutes are going to be changing this year. So throughout the whole playoffs, the Mavericks stuck with starting Dwight Powell, but their Maxi still um, played a majority of the minutes last in this last year's playoffs. Um, just for the simple fact that Dwight Powell was hard pressed to be able to defend, um, and he had a hard time. You know, him not being able to stretch the floor was crucial in the playoffs. Just And his, his rim rolling was largely negated because, you know, teams were collapsing, um, playing drop, and Dwight couldn't shoot. So, and, I mean, you know, especially with against the Warriors, you know, they were just switch heavy. But, you know, Looney was able to stick Dwight Powell when he was on him fairly easily. And, you know, that, you know, negated any sort of, pick and roll him and Luca could do. I mean, we saw it a little bit in the Jazz series is, you know, I feel like his foot speed was able to counter Gobert's uh, lack of foot, foot speed, even though, you know, Gobert is a DPOY candidate. <laughs> yeah. that. I'm just saying like, you know, Dwight provide a quicker edge, but I, I feel like in the Suns and um, Warrior series, Dwight's role was largely negated so that, you know, the Mavericks needed a guy who could stretch the floor and, you know, insert Maxi, And, you know, he definitely – you know, I think Maxi played a lot beyond his limits. He's not a guy who should be playing 30 minutes a night. I think at that point, it's just adding on years to his career. But the Mavericks really had no other option at center last year. So with Christian Wood and JaVale McGee coming in this year, where do you sort of see Maxi's role um, going forward on this team? So, like, I guess giving a little background, like, we've had so many discussions, of course, because Christian Wood and JaVale McGee are new. Like, that's a given. Yeah. Um. You know, there's been a lot of trade discussions around Dwight Powell and Davis Bertans. We've had this one guy that's just been left out, and that's Maxi Kleber. Um, and I, I think the big question is, is what's his role now? Uh, it really – I don't think anybody can give you a clear, defined answer just because we don't know what's going to be happening around that rotation right now. Yeah, I mean, I think the first um, 20 games of the season, like, I could see – all three of those guys starting at different points. Exactly. That's yeah. It's gonna be. I think a lot of uh, Mavs Twitter is gonna be going a little crazy. Yeah. Uh, but again, like this is like that first twenty games. Like you can tread the water a little bit in testing. Yeah. So it, long it, as Luca doesn't get off to a slow start, because that's what's gonna put them in the dirt, like last year. Like, like yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I guess like just trying to envision right now. I think Maxi's the, because I, I mean I don't know like it, it all depends on if you can start Wood and Javel together, or Wood starts and Javel comes off the bench. Like either way, I think 
Maxie's now the third option for uh, that center rotation. Yeah, I agree. But I also think Maxie's going to get some um, – I you know, I just think that flexibility in terms of he can play with Wood and McGee just because his ability to defend and stretch the floor. No, exactly. Yeah, That's going to bode well for him. I just think that – I don't know his exact role. I don't think he'll start for sure. But I can tell you as much is that I think he's going to get a consistent about – 20 minutes a game, and it's going to be much more catered to him because, you know, you can play him and Wood off the bench together. You can play him and JaVale together because, um, you know, Maxi has the ability to stretch the floor. Um, and I think that's going to just, you know, I just think we'll see him in a lot of different lineups in terms of how, you you know, Jason Kidd's going to be mismatching all these bigs and what have you. Um, you know, they have a lot of guys on that coaching staff who experience from that 2020 Lakers team, which had a lot of bigs on it. They had Dwight, JaVale, AD, and they were able to uh, manage that. And, you know, those, those are like two non-shooters in Dwight and, uh, uh, and Dwight and JaVale that that Lakers team had that won the championship in the bubble. The Mavericks only have um, one non-shooter, and that's JaVale. Um, but even so, you know, JaVale kind of just inserts into that Dwight Powell role. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I feel like Maxi is just going to be fluid in the sense that they'll really be able to maximize his role kind of how he was when he first got here where he wasn't playing as much. Cause I feel like he's more of a spark plug sort of dude than a guy you want playing 30 minutes a game. There are going to be nights where, yeah, Maxi has an uptick in minutes because, you know, maybe they're playing like, if they're playing like the Warriors, for instance, and JaVale just can't stay with Looney. He's too fast for him. And Christian Wood just getting bodied because of lack of strength down low. I could see Maxi, you know, definitely approaching 30 minutes in a game like that. But, you know, in a normal game, I, I see him ending anywhere from about like 15 to 23 minutes a game. And I think he's going to get played a lot in two big lineups. I don't think we're going to see really any more lineups with Maxi's alone big for the most part, like may see it every once in a while. But do you think that's a safe bet? No, I think it's definitely a safe bet. I, I'm yeah. going to go out and say this. I think that this could be, and I feel like we say this every year, but I think this could be Maxie's best year of his career, just because, like you said, he's not—he's not expected to get play those thirty minutes a game. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's that, that spark. What? And I was just gonna say that that injuries really caught up to him from the perspective of having to, because I mean the mass kind of did run him into the ground to the end of the year, and then he was hurt for like no. the last couple weeks of the season. Uh, I think I think this could be the best season of his career, just because. You know, he's not – yeah, like you said, he's not expected much of uh, other than to give, like, 15, 20 minutes of solid basketball, uh, which, you know, we've seen. We know he can do. Um, but, yeah, like, it, it might not be eye-popping stats. Like, his stats might not be – or I guess his numbers, like, points and rebounds, they might not be as high as what we're seeing. But I just think consistency-wise – and what he brings to the table, this could be the best year that we see him play. Yeah, I think is because at times last year, especially with the injury stuff, I thought is you know he definitely lost a step at times. You know he is getting up there. I believe he's either thirty or thirty-one. But I think just defensively, um, him being in that reduced role is going to be able just on a night on night in night out basis, he's going to be able to provide more defensively because he's not getting ran into the ground, and you know it's he's going to have more legs in his shot. And I mean. I saw a good point on Tim Cato's pod, uh, 77 Minutes in Heaven. Uh, I was listening to that earlier today. And he was talking about how Dory and Reggie and Maxie, these are all guys who played heavy minutes throughout three rounds of the playoffs. 
that's going to give them carryover and confidence in the regular season. And I really don't see any of those three guys' production teetering off at all. If anything, I just think it's going to make them more confident, more consistent in their roles. That doesn't mean I think they're, any of those three guys have some sort of ceiling to reach or they're going to take a step or anything like that. But, you know, Reggie had periods throughout the time where he was struggling from three, especially at the start of the season. You know, yeah. Max, he had a huge slump at the end of the year. I think we just may see, you know, and I'm sure, obviously they'll go through small slumps here and there, but I think throughout all three of those guys, we're just going to see more consistency shooting wise um, in terms of not going through any like egregious slumps. You know, I think like they, they, the, that playoff run that they just went on instilled a lot more confidence in those um, three and D role players for the Mavericks. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. I think with how this, and we say this probably 40 times a pod, um, but with how this current roster is built, like shooting is so important to this team. Yes, um, yes. And just to have one of those three guys hitting and then maybe being mediocre, like that's going to do wonders. Cause you know, sometimes we would see in the maps where the whole team would go on a slump and if you're going to have games like that, like one or two games, maybe handful of a year. Um, but we would see it in stretches. And I just don't yeah, think we see yeah. that this year. Especially at the beginning of the season, you know, with the COVID stuff and injuries and all that. No, I completely agree. So, I, you know, I'm not really planning on talking about this, but real quickly, I guess this gets into a bigger discussion. You know, if JaVale is, like, really taking that Dwight role, like, do you think Dwight even has a role on this team? Or is he going to be, you know, if assuming he stays on the team, do you think he's going to be clocking, like, a lot of DNPCDs? Or are they going to find a way to squeeze him in? Uh, mm, I think – it depends on how you look at it. If you're Mark Cuban, you squeeze him in. Um, <laughs> That's a good way to put it. If, if you're every every sane Mavs fan ever, then no, you keep him on the bench. Uh, I think Jason Kidd, this is the guy who's making the decisions here. Okay, Jason Kidd, I, I think he finds a way. You know, he doesn't play every game, but uh, he's just got a very weird role, especially right now. Yeah, uh, I mean, Christian, JaVale and Christian when tandem just do literally everything that he does, but just 10 times better and, and play and JaVale adds the defense. Like, I just, oh, it's just so hard for me to see a role on this team for him. Like, non-player perspective, like just from a man-to-man, -man, like I, I love Dwight. He's a great guy. Um, it's also and, the only time you said that on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, well <laughs> – <laughs> um I don't know I just there's just there's just no way he gets more than you know and this is you don't even this isn't this isn't even a role in the NBA but there's no way he doesn't play more than like two minutes a game like averaging yeah, I, mean, I, I don't see you know I, I he is really good backup big assurance in terms of injuries and one of those guys goes down like yeah I'd love to have him as the fourth big on my roster there's no doubt about it but I just think there's so many more areas where they can improve by shipping him off elsewhere. Um, but, you know, if he stays on the team, you know, I just think from the sort of the Mavs, like genuinely organizationally, not just Cuban, but, you know, JK and everybody, they talk a lot about his veteran leadership and they like genuinely revere him and what he brings to the table. So, you know, I think there's going to be times where they sneak him in. Um, I feel like he'll have like really similar role, kind of like what Trey Burke did last year. Well, where they'll kind of, you know, there'll be a game where 
you know, they want to just throw a team off and get a faster rim rolling five in there at times. Dwight maybe clocks five, ten minutes, you know, once every few games. But yeah, I definitely think for the first time in a few years, they'll see D and PCDs consistently. And, you know, like not like a legitimate role that he has. Yeah, no, I agree. All right, here's here's a question before we end the podcast. Okay. Um, I, I don't know the question to this. Do we think in terms of fours and fives are just bigs, I guess, do you think the Mavericks, like, are paying the most for these guys? Like, I guess I don't even know how to word that. No, um, I know what you're saying. Like, if between – if we're counting Bertans in that mix – no, I would count Bertans. I think the Mavericks have, like, they probably are paying the most to big men out of anybody in the NBA. Um, maybe outside of some team, maybe, like, Denver, just because they're paying, like, so much to Jokic and then whatever else the other guys are getting. But, I mean, you got Bertans at 16. You got Wood at 14. That's 30 just right there. Dwight at 11. That's 41. Um, Maxie's at – nine i think that's yeah um and then javel's out at six which is like 56 well you know actually Jokic is making over 50 million that's crazy the cba is nuts guys (laughs) um yeah super maxes are absurd so i don't know they're they're definitely up there i i'd say they're for sure top five without even looking i i could like definitively say that they're probably top five yeah i can i would definitely i would confidently say that and it's the good like, thing is, like, the Mavericks don't have, like, a bunch of, like, traditional, like, you know, centers who can't shoot. Like, you know, DeVale's really the only guy who exactly like yeah. that. But at the same time, he does everything. You know, he plays within his role really well. And he's a good rim protector. He's not going to be able to, you know, get switch on to some guys. I mean, I'm not really confident in that aspect. But, you know, he does what he's asked to do really well. And he's really aware and, you know. He was labeled as this sort of dude who was, you know, goofy and, you know, inefficient and just made dumb decision-making. But this stage in his career, this is a guy who knows exactly what he's going to come in and do. You know, even though he's a free agent acquisition, I feel exactly what – I feel like I know exactly what I'm going to get from him. I mean, you know, we're going to get solid rebounding. We're going to get um, decent rim protection. Um, and we're going to get, you know, above average rim rolling. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with that. That's all that you really want. I mean, the Mavericks kind of needed that rim protection. That's why you you get a guy like JaVale because, you know, you already solved, you know, you already got two guys in Christian Wood and Maxie who can stretch the floor. So, you know, if you had to add a guy who can't necessarily shoot, fine. Then, you know, if that helps with the Mavericks rim protection issues for 15, uh, 20 minutes a game, I'm all here for it. Exactly. Since, I agree. You know, the Mavericks weren't able to get in the mix for like a Miles Turner you know, any of these like elite rim protectors that can also shoot, you know? No, I, yeah, I agree. I completely agree. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be it for today's pod guys. Hope you guys enjoy it. Enjoyed it. Subscribe to us on all platforms or whatever you're listening to on. Give us a five-star rating if you're on Apple podcasts or Spotify. Um, in the next pod, we're going to be potting on Saturday. We're not going to pod tomorrow, but we will be talking about, Fake trades the Mavericks could potentially get on, get in on with the Celtics and the Kevin Durant fallout. And we'll reopen the void that is the Donovan Mitchell. Well, um, okay, wait. The this will come out on Friday for them. And then so Sunday. Sunday is our next pod. Oh yeah, Sunday. 
Yeah. Uh, sorry, I had to think about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, we're we're doing that because we go by dates on nights. That sounded so weird. We we do our dates and then like you know like we're oh we're potting today on Thursday night, but you know it's obviously like early Friday morning. So yes, yeah, so it'll be coming out early Sunday morning. Um, but yeah, uh, and we'll like like I said, we're gonna reopen the Donovan Mitchell void. See, you know, explore a little bit more into potential trades the Mavericks could maybe do with the Jazz. Um, even though we already did a pod on that, we'll just see how the Mavericks um, could better facilitate a trade like that. And we'll especially look at what the Mavericks could do in terms of facilitating a trade um, with the Brooklyn Nets. Maybe not necessarily like we'll get into a couple specific signed trades, but mostly just going to be, you know, how the Mavericks can, like what players we can see leaving that deal or coming back to Dallas. But with that being said, we hope you guys enjoyed. Like I said, uh, subscribe to us on all platforms. Give us five-star ratings. Whatever you're on, Mainstream Mavs signing out. Peace.